Director of Communications and Care, and I am here with Pastor Johnny. Hello. Hey, Caroline. How are you doing? Pretty good. LaCroix in hand. Yes. Post-soccer practice, Johnny. (laughs) I had to quickly gulp this down. So yeah, we are in the middle of our high school soccer camps. So running from uh, part of the day here, part of the day there, coming back here. So all good stuff. So the sun is humid out there today. Yeah. I mean, it was like thick. Yeah. It's thick out there today. So I feel like you're swimming. Yeah, we usually d- hate the rain just because you're like soaking for like, you know, all afternoon. But the rain would have been nice today. Mm. <laughs> it's like, but anyway, the LaCroix hit the spot. Good. So, there you go. So, yeah. We're in our uh, Becky's office turned podcast studio. So usually we just like are randomly thinking about what is outside because we're right in front of the <laughs> yeah, we don't windows. Have as good of a perspective of a the outside hard. from here. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Becky. Sorry, no offense, <laughs> we, Becky. We clothed you in in a place that doesn't have great views perspective. But <laughs> we are with Amanda Gasnell, and hello, how are you? Hey guys, good evening. So good to be here with you guys. Just this year, we've been learning a lot about more about what Amanda does. She's had a career change, which we've chatted a little bit about that whole, well, career change is a strong word. I should say location change and maybe career shift. You could tell us all about that. But um, you are now here in the area serving the same community that we are. So I would love to hear Mm. where do you work and how did you get there? Give us like the back story of where you work and why. Sure, yeah. No, I think some of our conversations have started because of having similar geographic ministries, so to speak. And um, it's new and exciting for me because I've never worked where I've lived before. Mm -hmm. um, And there's a whole different kind of experience when you do that. But um, to back up, I'm the executive director at the Sheridan at River Forest. It's an assisted living and memory care community that just got built right on Harlem and Chicago. Um, So I've actually, I've been in senior living for uh, most of my life, Mm -hmm. um, but I've been an executive director for the last 11 years at Mm -hmm. various communities. What did you, what were your previous roles, but in the same kind of field? Yeah, so I actually started in senior living. I'm definitely, I call myself an industry brat because I started (laughs) so young. Um, My very first gig was as a volunteer in an Alzheimer's unit in ninth grade. Um, oh. And that's where I, I didn't realize of, that. Yeah, it really? goes really far back. Yeah, cool. so that's where I got kind of the senior living bug. Um, oh, and wow. I was a, a dining room server in an assisted living in high school. And then I actually did 24-hour care in college. So I've done a oh. whole host of kind of wow. frontline roles in senior living that led then to leadership positions. So one of the first things we typically ask is, what did you want to be when you grow up? Um, that seems pretty early. Were there dreams prior to ninth grade right. of what you wanted to be? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
you know, there's those, those like iconic quotes that you have in your family that get retold so much yes. that you're not even sure you ever said it. Yeah. But the one, apparently I was at like one day of school as a first grader and I was like, school is great. I was like, what job do you have to go to school the longest to do? No way. <laughs> and my what? dad was like, uh, I don't know, a doctor. And so I was like, well, then I'm going to be a doctor. I want to go to school forever. <laughs> so um, I think that's Pediatrician. amazing. Strange child. Strange <laughs> child doer. I'm like, kind of like very serious minded and I was as a kid. Like my so dad. So strange. I'm not sure that a check out <laughs> or like just dig really deep on oh, it. Oh no, we're I'm, already doing I'm the psychoanalysis. Trying to, trying to figure out what to do so with that. Is that so a record before he <laughs> yeah. like, so, it's like four minutes in? Four minutes in, he's already I'm so unrelated, to, unrelatable to you right now. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I was actually, my so dad was, school. my dad was an elementary school teacher and I would ask him to bring home like his workbooks and, and other kids would like play games and I would like play school when I was yeah. off school. So I, yeah, I'm like, so, okay, this is, this is super random, <laughs> but I was at my mom's, uh, a couple weeks ago and she's like, you know, you still have some boxes of things, you know, do you want to get rid of? Cause there's a shelving unit in her garage. She wants to get rid of that. I'm like, Oh, I can use in our garage. I feel like that's a lifelong process, by yes, the way, right. of, of parents trying to pawn back their yeah. childhood. Like, <laughs> every right. time I see my parents, they're yeah. like, take this candy trash kid. Like, <laughs> so I found this, like, uh, I don't know, let's say 20 to 30 pieces of old school notebook paper yeah. with tons of writing on it that was like, you know, the paper's like yellow now and it's <laughs> old. And so I'm like, oh, this is... Oh, these are all the sentences I had to write when I was in second grade. And I mean, it was 20 pages thick. Like as a punishment? Front and back as a punishment that says like, so the very first, <laughs> wow. the, I showed Manfred today, the very That's first amazing. one says, I will not make fun of other people. <laughs> I will not make fun of other people. I will, and I had to do like a hundred times over. And it was like, I will sit forward in class. I will sit forward. I will not do fake sneezes in class. I will not. So, so this is this is my early entry into no, I just put these next to each other. As and I yet you've probably gone to school longer than I have. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And then oh, your mom's like, we're keeping this. That's yeah, the well, second part. Yeah. That. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, what, what do you keep this? Like, are you proud have of you showed your kids <laughs> yet? Like, now the, oh, so the, we, the Oh, my kids read through it, and they're like, yeah, this is totally you, I'm sure. <laughs> like, there was, like, no, like, oh, my gosh, Dad. It was no like, surprise. Whatsoever. Yeah, I was like, yeah, the, yeah, you're you're a pain. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's oh. so good. Oh. But so you you it's already funny said you're doctor though, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm like so I'm like medical adjacent. Yes, because sure, I work yeah, in yeah, totally. But I'm like I'm a total fainter. Like I can't do I can't do blood. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. So it's funny looking back now that I thought I would be in any actually clinical profession because I have no. But it's your like organization and structure and like uh, almost like being able to give structure and control and encouragement to an environment that requires that like maybe yeah <laughs> you can do that just chronic overachiever so, nature so i asked the question yeah, what did you yeah, want to yeah. be when you grew up yeah and you said you liked school right so what's the what was what <laughs> made you think of that like did you think i wanted to be a professional schooler no like i, like I, I just thought I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted so to So then the, do okay, right, so that's the doctor, okay, so it's a doctor because, okay, got you, got you. Right. right. 
But then I like went like totally flipped script and went through the long phase in like middle school and high school. I was really into theater. Mm. So oh, wow. then I wanted to do the whole acting. Okay, thing. quick aside, Johnny gets to insert his like soccer interests all the time. I was a secret. <laughs> uh, theater nerd. Are so you a theater nerd too? I am a theater nerd. Wow. So now we can just chat for a little bit. I should have known because you have this amazing bit. podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever think you'd lose, use all your theater gifts? No, I did not. And amazing. even that would be a strong word to say that I was like good at theater. <laughs> I just loved it. So let me just go back and say I love musicals. Love, <laughs> like, oh. love theater. Oh, wait, musicals oh, are more like acting. Yes. I was more like the hardcore drama. Okay, okay, okay. So, Did yeah. you do any growing and up? I was in that weird position of being good enough uh -huh. to like feed the dream, but not actually <laughs> good, good enough to enough go to anywhere. Do, maybe we go back to soccer, right? Good enough to like so, feed the dream. I have a little acting, high school acting. Do you know Stop. Can we resurface some of those do from mom's acting. closet, please? Do it acting. There's Fahrenheit 451. The hey dude's like super yeah. intense yeah. and serious. So I've never done acting. And my English <laughs> teacher was like, I think this role fits you. Would you try it? And I was like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. I'm okay. <laughs> so I did a duet acting competition. That's amazing. So. Well, you'll appreciate this, Carolyn. <laughs> That's so it, though. I was getting kind of serious about it towards uh -huh. late in high school, and yeah. I read this book about becoming an actor. Hmm? And the oh, preface wow. was, <laughs> I still remember this, it said something like, if you could envision yourself doing anything else but acting and being happy, do that thing. <laughs> it's like only do it if it's a it's last like, resort literally like if you couldn't be happy doing anything else then let, let's go forward here wow. but if you if you could do anything else you should do that other thing because acting is really hard and I like really wow. took that to heart I was like oh, oh okay I'll just, I could, I I'll could just go to school for eight years <laughs> yeah. it's, I, it's funny that I mean that's an interesting I had that exact same counsel in really? becoming a pastor really like someone said to me if you can do anything else do it wow and i was like somehow i absolutely thought i could do a bunch of other things but then still ended up being a pastor somehow that's fascinating but yeah so that's interesting like i that's it just is interesting to me to connect it to another field yeah the same advice kind of right yeah. right but acting is to make money on it i mean not a thing <laughs> right right yeah. i was a great waitress though so maybe i would have made it as an actress yes that's all you end up yeah. doing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point, then you have merging together yeah. what you, like, as a freshman. Right, right. Like, tastes of what you mm -hmm. were actually going to do, mm -hmm. but right. then also dreaming of doing something else. Right. But right. then were you, like, how are those playing together as you thought about your future? Right. Yeah. So I think, obviously, so I was working in senior living, but I think... And a lot of people don't have like a full understanding of the full spectrum of roles that exist within yeah, the wraparound services right, that right. include tons of professions. Right. So everyone thinks, okay, you want to serve seniors, be like a nurse, right? And so um, being in an assisted living community, actually my first exposure to the idea that someday I wanted to be an executive director. And in high school I mm. did. I literally wrote oh. like a college prep type essay about wanting to be a senior living executive director someday. Um, was actually, I didn't think much of my executive director when I was a high school server at that community. I don't know. I don't even remember her name. But she was, um, she didn't know the names of any of the frontline staff. And mm. there, it wasn't a big community. So there was probably only like 30 staff members, right? And, I, you know, that's really, that experience was kind of shaping to me of, you know, um, how important those relationships are and how, um, um, 
meaningful that kind of FaceTime is, and, you know, with each contributor. And so she was really into like plants, I remember. And Ooh. she would go around the community just like <laughs> spritzing all the live greenery. And I just thought to myself, like, you care more about these plants than the residents. And in my cocky little high school way, I was like, I could be a better executive director than this, which, you know, I was probably really, really naive about everything that was involved. But um, that was kind of where the early seeds came of, mm -hmm. I would treat yeah. my frontline staff better than this, or I would invest in my residents. So or, there's one other person, Laurie, that, who was a middle school teacher, yeah. who basically was inspired to do, become a middle school teacher by a bad middle school teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's like the same. It and so, times. and I don't know like what her like personality Enneagram number would be. Oh, she's but like me. how there Should is. I outer? She's, she's an eight. She's an eight. Okay. So eight and <laughs> lots in commons with I'm a one. Well, so, so eight right. and one mm -hmm. strong personalities <laughs> often would be right? inspired right? by the weaknesses the they see mm -hmm. and see like, like that's, should, that's, that's not as good as it should be. Or these people aren't being cared for. Right. We have to figure, you know, that's, so that's really kind true. of interesting. So like, it's not even like, it's like your your like antenna mm -hmm. is gonna see that right. weakness fast, right? That the, you see I mean, and want to so much of my personality. It. I prefer yeah. reformer to perfectionist, but there, yeah, you know, yes, yeah. totally. But you're seeing like my a, husband would zone in on the critical perfectionist <laughs> side of that. But you see the opportunities for growth or bettering, and mm -hmm. that that's a lot of what drives totally. me. But I think on my leadership journey, yeah. I have probably learned as much from bad bosses, yeah. right? Than I have. Hmm. I've learned a lot from some really great leaders I've had hmm. mentor me or be part of my career path. But hmm. the ones that I've probably learned the most from were bosses that were hard for me to work for. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I won't mean, ask you guys to talk about bad yeah. bosses here. That could get really weird. I'm not at liberty to say minus to the right. Start. No, I think um I feel like oftentimes I'll think I would do it this way, mm -hmm. but don't necessarily feel like my way is better. Mm -hmm. I just think like, as I think about my personality mm -hmm. in leadership, I would think they're doing it this way. And some of it's kind of like my way better. Mm -hmm. That's sure. kind of, <laughs> you in know, nature, right? yeah, like, mm -hmm. you know, entangled in that. But yeah. I don't know that I've felt like I would say I've been inspired by bad leaders as much as just, I feel like the, well, whatever. I mean, I feel like the people that I've worked with have mm -hmm. given me a lot of leash. Yeah. And so I'm inspired by the space they're giving me to figure mm -hmm. it out. Did yeah. you get into leadership pretty young? I did, yeah. So right. I mean, I guess it's not appropriate to ask your age or <laughs> Is it appropriate to ask you? I, mean, I feel like we're like I feel right? like we're the same age. I'm like 37. Okay, yeah. 39. Yeah. So okay. Um. So you're really knocking on it, huh? How you feeling? Yeah. How you feeling about 40? I don't. I don't. Amanda's like we're the same. Yeah. Well, you're closer to 40 than I am. <laughs> yeah, but I I can resonate with being in leadership positions young. Right. Right. And I would imagine. I mean, like I feel like 37 is like having been in executive yeah. director for 11 years. Right. Right. Yeah, you so know, that so, was pretty oh, wild wow. coming 26. into my... Yeah, coming into 26 my 26 years old. Yeah, That's young. Coming into my first ED gig as a 26-year-old, I definitely had a, a chip on my shoulder. I'm grateful for 
Um, I was promoted from within my company at the time. Um, they had like an executive director and training program and kind of fed into it. But walking into the building the first day and most of my managers that reported to me were in their 50s or 60s. So um, that was kind of a wild experience of like, Residents and families would be like, oh, you're the what now? Like, they couldn't kind of wrap their mind around this, like, child being in charge of this large <laughs> The Enneagram operation. 8 song written by Sleeping At Last talks about this. I love those The songs. vision of the eight at a young childhood putting on the armor mm. and the, like, tension of it fitting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, going into leadership young mm-hmm. is scary when... It's like this armor that shouldn't fit you yet. Yes. You put it on and it fits. Yeah. And you're like, oh, crap. Like, I'm leading at 26 years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, like, yeah, how to navigate people that are older than you, you know. Because I would say, like, I had a personality, not the maturity, right. but the personality to present as mature. Right. So I can have, con- I remember conversations with elders at other churches I was at when I was, like, young 20s right and being like oh you're so mature when i was your age i wasn't and i'm like no i'm presenting mature presented mature yeah but i'm not and confident Mm -hmm. but man when i look back right right yeah i i think even when i look does that resonate with you yeah like and and i do think that um one thing that's come with age that has helped in my leadership is like a sense of like security. Like someone once asked me, what is the difference between the good bosses you've had and the bad bosses? Mm. And when I really try to distill it down, I think um, insecure bosses versus kind of like secure um, leaders, there a lot can come from that. And so I think early on, um, I, you know, confidence comes with age and experience and especially so much in my industry, um, you know, the, Crises I've navigated have made me stronger and things like that. But it allows me to elevate those that work for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not so concerned of what the perception is of me. You know, it's it's easy to make things kind of more, take things more personally when things, you know, don't go the way you're hoping for or, you know, to be a little more wrapped up in that. Do you think in your industry specifically, like, age and experience matters more because it's like there's a greater value placed on that or you're trying to turn that up in your community or Mm. not really? I don't know that it's, yeah, it could be because there's a whole, it's a, an industry of, um, it's people taking care of people. So, you know, there's a a whole ton of complexity of, um, things that can happen, negative outcomes, good, really great things, you know, gray area types of situations. And so, the greater breadth of experience you have to kind of draw from this work here, you know, that certainly does, mm. it, yeah. it makes it a lot easier to lead rather than, right. especially right now. So I'm at a community that just opened. Um, and so everything is kind of inventing the wheel in a certain way. I mean, we're part of a larger organization that's been around since kind of the beginning of senior living. They're not, you know, this is not their first rodeo by any means. So there's there's a playbook to follow, but there's a lot of minutia of tiny decisions that you have to make and having a whole um, background of other communities to look at, mm-hmm. you know, best practices really, totally. it does make it a lot easier. One more question jumping back. So yeah. you decide as a high school student that you want to be an executive <laughs> director and then 26, you are one. So right. what happened between 
junior sophomore in high school yeah and 26 yeah yeah how did I get there Mm -hmm. yeah um so I did I actually um was kind of doing some basic like informational interviewing in college like you do to kind of you know familiarize yourself with the types of roles in the industry and um my uncle in Pittsburgh had mentored the son of the CEO of a small assisted living chain in Pittsburgh so um he connected the two of us and we and we talked and um, out of that, I ended up interviewing for the company, um, and it was funny. Per- here's personality tests for you. I had applied for like a business office manager position, which was like kind of like a accounting and a little HR kind of mix there. And they ran a um, Myers Briggs profile on me. They took one look at my profile, and they were like, "You are not. not work. You are not business <laughs> office manager material <laughs> at all." Like my conscientiousness was like below the grid. Which I'm. I think I'm pretty organized, but details are just not, you know, yeah. I'm more of a big picture thinker. So they're like, but then they saw my like influencing extroversion. They're like, how about sales? Um, so it was funny because my first reaction was like, ew, sales. You know what I mean? I had this mm. like kind of concept of what a salesperson would be like, kind of like, you know, slimy, Sli- yeah. like slick, totally. it's just fake. I don't know. That's, but um, as a college student who was being offered a full-time job, I was like, Sure, sure, I'll try it on. Yes. Um, so they actually waited for me to graduate. So one week out of school, I started a job as a director of sales and marketing at oh. an assisted living community um, and loved it. I did sales for several years before um, mm-hmm. becoming an ED. And cool. it was, I would say it's in our world, it's much more like social work than it is like yes. sales, right? So you're, um, you're not like cold calling people like, hey, want to move into senior living? It doesn't work like that way your age is getting up there do you like with no context how <laughs> yeah, do you even recruit right, right. something like that hey, i heard you just turned right, right. <laughs> no not at all um but it's really um more usually families in crisis that are calling looking for mm. answers and it's being that kind of resource and okay and support and i love kind of the education piece yeah. and you know matching needs you know if we weren't the mm. right resource i'd you know give people other recommendations but that mm. was so that was kind of how i started into senior living yeah. What was your degree in? I did a dual major in um, business economics and sociology, which was oh, really wow. fascinating yeah, at Wheaton yeah. because all your your like business classes, it was all like it was all jocks. It was like mostly guys, um, so I was like kind of an outlier in the business classes. Um, and then sociology was like kind of like the long hippie skirts. They plan to go to Peace Corps kind of people. I feel like I'm looking at the two of you right now and just having a bit of a moment. <laughs> like I might've seen Johnny in my business classes and might've seen Caroline in my social work classes. I was literally like, tell me about your social work classes. <laughs> so It's all coming together, right? Yeah, so. I got you. I actually met David in a um, economic statistics class. Mm. So that's where, that's where I met my husband. Yeah. So, very romantic. Um, <laughs> It's really funny because they are, in some ways, such different um, majors and yes. such different personality, but then in some ways come together perfectly for what I'm doing now. So, so. you kind of, like, you have the sales piece and you have the economics piece and you have the, yeah. like, leadership moving parts piece mm-hmm. and then you have the social work piece. That's, yeah. like, a lot of different yeah. things that meld together in your yeah. vocation. It's part of what I like love about what I do because I can go from like I am a numbers geek. So I do a lot of financial analysis and things like that in the business side of what I do. Um, But then, you know, I might go from, you know, 
doing a variance report for my PNL straight to like dancing with someone in my memory care or like, you know, taking part in a game of bingo or yes. <laughs> actually came with a couple residents to the Lyric Opera concert here yes. one night. And I was like, this is great. This is my job. Oh. So yeah, it's, a, it's were, a fun mix. What were some of the classes, like what inspired you in college? Content or professor Ooh. or class? I um I think I part of why I did my sociology double major is I had like a total like intellectual crush on this one professor Lisa McMinn she was a sociology mm. professor and she just um like brought a, a lot of amazing ideas to my world about like uh gender and like just uh, different um social dynamics that were like yeah. just really foundational to my understanding of the world and so I just kind of took every class she taught yeah. so that was one of my some yeah. of my favorites. Yeah, that's cool. And so then, right out of college, you took this sales and marketing mm -hmm. job. How long did you do that? What was the transition from there? Yeah, I was uh, I was at the sales and marketing job in Pittsburgh for a couple of years, and then David actually got a job that brought us back here to Chicago. Um, did you grow up here? I missed that part. No, actually, I grew up um, just north of Boston in southern okay. New Hampshire. Um, oh. David grew up in Tucson, so we kind of met here at Wheaton in the middle and just oh. kind of stayed around Midwest-ish. Yeah. So I'm the only person in, in the world who moves away from Boston for college. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who does that? Where in uh, Massachusetts? So just this very southern border of New Hampshire. It was uh, oh, okay. Windham, so you're New pretty Hampshire. far north. Okay, yeah. yeah. My in-laws for a while lived in Malden. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, cool. right off the orange line. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you were, you took that job, mm -hmm. you guys came back, or came to, not back. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of back because of college. Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then I took a very similar role as a sales director. Um, but it was with a, a large um, corporation that had a lot of communities within Chicagoland, and so that kind of fed into this executive director and training program and the opportunity to Did you feel while you were in those, like you had a clear, like, idea that executive director was the next step you were targeting yeah yeah i think that was a big part of my kind of interview process was this program they had that was really well known to kind of make that transition and i so i loved the the people piece of sales like i loved walking families through i mean the transition to senior living is often like no one window shops for senior living right there's usually some kind of you know, event or, you know, health issues that are prompting it. So it's usually a really difficult transition. And I love the, the piece of, like, just, you know, kind of uh, partnering with people to make that transition, make it successfully, make the right choice, all that. Um, but I hated that I – you have to kind of, like, let go once they move in in sales, right? And then you have to help the next prospective family that might be moving in. And so – um, with my control issues. <laughs> no, but it was hard for me to kind of build these relationships and then kind mm -hmm. of like pass the torch yeah. on to the operations team. So I think that was a, a reaffirmation to me that I, rather than just being the person who kind of made the promises, I wanted to really be, you know, the one executing and keeping those promises and kind of building longer term relationships and just championing of, quality of life. Yeah, one of the kind of intertwined questions, I don't think I've asked everyone, but a few people. Um, is the idea of feeling called to this a specific kind of job and feeling called to like a specific people to serve for those that are mm. in service industry 
roles. Like right. a craft or a pop- population, yeah. do you feel more gravitated towards? So do you towards? feel like Ooh. one is more than the other? Do you feel like the community you serve, you could do a different role mm. in the community you serve? Or do you feel like you could do the executive director in another, in another with another population, industry. right? Or population, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, I definitely, the calling piece to me was like largely to work with seniors. I think yes. there's a piece, I'm like a Boston sports fan, right? And I can't say it now, but like for a while, it was like the underdog thing mm-hmm. runs deep for me. Oh. Nobody thinks of us as underdogs anymore. <laughs> but Johnny, are you? please take note, Johnny's rolling his eyes in like yeah, such yeah. an intense, hate, disdainful manner. We I have to Boston narrate so these much. things because. <laughs> Hey, so before so the multiple dynasties, Johnny, it was <laughs> yeah, really hard. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I'm, sure, sure. I'm, um, I'm feeling for you. I'm feeling for you. <laughs> can you hypothetically understand what that yeah. was like? Zero. So we'll veer far. We'll take a hard right away from the sports <laughs> conversation. But um, I think I've always been really drawn to like the underdog kind of like in any situation, in a social yeah. situation or anything. And like, you know, I think seniors in our culture, like to me, have, are like it's like the consummate underdogs right mm-hmm. it just um you know so I, I think i've always felt compelled to try to you know um serve them really well and i, I always joke that like if jesus was here today he'd probably work at like a medicaid nursing home like <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's just you know you talk about kind of your orphan or your poor or, you know it just um kind of breaks my heart to not see them in the place of honor that i think mm-hmm. seniors oh. really deserve because um, if we're fortunate enough we'll, we'll all be there and we'll all have just this wealth of life experience mm. that we might not be able to articulate really well. Um, but just, there's just so much to learn from our seniors. And it, so mm. th- that's kind of part of, you know, what's always been part of my calling and uh, experience it with my own, my grandmother actually had Alzheimer's and uh, my go-go and she lived in a senior living community. So I think yeah, that's probably kind of the forgotten childhood piece that we haven't talked about, but that was, you know, seeing her experience mm. and, and, the impact that little little things could really have on the mm. quality of her day. You know what I mean? Like she, um, she, first she was in the independent side when she first had all, got diagnosed. I think she was like 88 and she was still like walks two miles a day, you know, very, very active. And But as she progressed and moved towards kind of the nursing home side of things, it was, you know, um, oh, there's so much I learned from that experience. So she... The, she wasn't eating a whole lot anymore, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of the daily pleasures, but um, in her generation, you only had cappuccino at, like, really fancy restaurants, right? Like, it wasn't, like, we didn't have, like, Starbucks on the corners or whatever, um, and so that meant that you were at a really classy restaurant, and some employee must have, like, realized she liked cappuccino and got, like, the cheap tin of cafe au lait, right? Um, and so she wouldn't eat much at meals, but afterwards, they'd make her, like, a quote-unquote cappuccino, and she just thought she was, like, at the queen's tea, right? <laughs> she would offer it to us as if, you know, isn't this place spectacular, you know? Ooh. And so... I I think like just little things like that just remind me of like and I always tell my employees like that may have had that ripple effect on my life like I don't know the name of that employee they don't know me mm. from anything I visited occasionally from out of state mm-hmm. but kind of changed the course of my life so just the idea of like these little things we can do with so much love can make like such a big deal so yeah so mm. anyway so probably pop long winding answer mm. to a short question probably more the population mm. um but the medium that i think i've 
found or like the task is like the leadership piece of things has probably been the surprise of like how much I enjoy and am fulfilled by the like leadership aspect of my role. So could I find a good amount of fulfillment leading any team anywhere? Like there's pieces of that that I think would be transferable for me because I think that's one of the most fun parts of what I do or most fulfilling parts of what I do is kind of growing people. You'd need a tribe. Yes. To lead. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Yeah. I would say kind of follow up from that. I think, um, and this isn't super clean, but it kind of categorically helps me. Leadership sometimes in certain roles demands your ideology Mm. and sometimes demands your personality Mm. or sometimes demands both, but one more than the other. So I would say in my youth pastor role and my outreach role, what was more demanded of me was my ideology to lead with my ideology mm-hmm. and not as much my personality. Mm. So then when I went into the executive pastor role, most people were like, I remember Christine saying like, I've had so many people say to me like, are you sure Johnny wants to like be an executive <laughs> pastor? Like that doesn't seem real vote of confidence. Yeah, like yeah, he's, yeah. he would, he would be, yeah. Or just like, yeah, you feel like you're like pushing against the man and yes. now you're, you're going to be the man. Right? right. And so it's like the executive role and the business role and the details role. Like, is that really? Yeah. And she's like, well, if you ever have to like mess up his like laundry folding, you you'll would know, know right, that right, right. he has a lot of attention to detail in yeah. his little world. Right. Yeah. And so that's where I've felt like, in many ways, my ideology is actually not as demanded of me at this point, mm. though I'm trying to figure that out. Right, right. And more my personality right. is being demanded of huh. me. Um, and so ha- do you feel like in your role now, is it like a sweet kind of mix of the two? Right. Or That's would you say, yeah. you know, it's on and off, but like what is demanded of you, your personality and the nuances of the personality that um, your family only knows, right. you know, or the people who work close with you, yeah. the, you know, the, the or your ideology. The personality question is really, that's, that's so interesting because, and going back to being that young leader and maybe you mm-hmm. felt the same yeah. way, I think I had this vision when I first became an executive director, like, oh, an executive director has to be, I had these like personality visions that, yeah. so I had The to people that you saw or tra- a foil of the people that you saw? In- yeah, I had to try and like shave off my rough edges in a set. Like I have a very, um, casual style and so I think when I first became an executive director I wore suits to work every day and I felt like I had to have executive presence like I had to like turn this thing on this like really kind of uh, authoritative you know I had to kind of respectable yeah just a whole different and so Mm -hmm. I think but it was interesting that that company that I worked for when I first became an executive director um at one point in the the, um, the training and development team said they had tr- they had invested a ton of money in consultants and they tried to come up with this like personality they used predictive index but it's kind mm-hmm. of Myers Briggs adjacent right um, they tried to find the profile of like the most successful executive director or the Whoa. ideal executive director and literally could not do it like every personality type could have been a success there was no commonality at yep. all and that was actually really like freeing to me yes. to like lean into like you know my authentic leadership style because mm-hmm. um, if you try to put on anyone else's it just it, you know it comes Doesn't off work. as hollow and it's a second rate version of someone else mm-hmm. and 
So I think that was really a, a journey for me to discover, um, you know, and, and often it'll be, you know, older males in my role or my counterparts in other places. And so what does that look like for me to be a young woman in doing this role? So, yeah, I think um, the other personality piece that I've learned the longer I'm a leader is the more self-aware you are of your strengths and weaknesses, like you surround yourself with people that yeah, round you yeah, out and yeah, fill yeah. in your gaps instead of like fighting against your, you know, I, I lean into my strengths and then I find people to fill in my gaps hmm. instead of like a lot of people spend so much of their energy trying to um, improve upon their weaknesses hmm. um, it, where I feel like, there's got to be some kind of an 80-20 thing about, like, building upon your strengths instead of trying to, like, yeah. even out the potholes. <laughs> yeah, I would say, of, I've, I have said this to people before of Gerald when I was the outreach pastor and he was my supervisor in that way. Still is my supervisor. Um, <laughs> I said he, he is thankful for my strengths and forgiving for my weaknesses. Mm, yeah. And that's, that's a nice place to be, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you have someone that, and I think, and I feel like you've already said this, um, but in a couple different ways. So, but I feel like in leadership, um, you, you have to be like just okay with I don't know. Yes. And it's really hard when people look mm -hmm. to you for answers and mm -hmm. stuff to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And to like, and to not feel like you're losing your influence of your role by not knowing. Mm -hmm. And instead saying, I, I don't know, um, but I bet this person knows. And this person's like really good at it too. So right. how do we, you know, pull them in and, and let it go? Right. The best solutions are going to come yeah. out of that kind of collaboration. And I think yeah. we've had to all probably be in our respective industries, be really um, comfortable with that through the pandemic. Um, yeah. You know, the last year in senior living has yeah. been um, you know, the most wild of my yes. career. Um, Can you speak more to that? Like, what <laughs> did you feel an uptick in, like, the panic of, like, uh, feeling responsible for a, a group of people that is now completely self-contained? Obviously, right. that's true to some degree for all of us, like, with our own families. But I'm yeah. imagining an added Yeah, I mean, dimension. it was... Oh, gosh, it was an incredible. So I was, so I'm now at the Sheridan, which is an assisted yes. living community at the time, um, because I just started there in January. But last year, I was at a large continuum of care out in Batavia. Um, and so I had everything from people who still lived in like duplex homes all the way up through skilled nursing, like a mm. nursing home. Um, so I had about 500 residents kind of um, under my guard, so to speak. Mm. And um, yeah, so when COVID hit, I think... The biggest part is that I know, don't know thing of like the decision fatigue that came out of that oh. year because there, I mean, you guys had to have experienced it too. Like, you know, you have to pivot constantly, yeah. right? And you were probably all watching the guidance, the healthcare guidance, but you know, I was, we have different regulating bodies, right? So I would be, you know, here on weekly calls with the Illinois Department of Public Health, which really regulates our industry. But then you're listening to CMS calls and what's CDC saying? Wow. What's my company policy saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's my um, county department saying? All that. So you're kind of taking guidance from like six different places. And I had five different levels of care that the mm. guidance applied differently to. Wow. Um, yeah. And just trying to operationalize this advice that was constantly like just 
I think there was that like information FOMO <laughs> of like, yeah. what if I missed a piece of guidance that's essential? What if I missed some expert advice? And, you know, I think I could have been paralyzed by like, it's all on me, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it does feel the stakes were so, so high in our yeah, world, that's you know, true. Um, that it just, um, you know, I think that for me, that was one of the most growing faith seasons mm. you know for me it was just i mean when it gets to the point that no human could possibly yeah. make all the right decisions you for, have to yeah. really kind of uh you know let go and trust god to you know come up with the right answers or manage a situation so it really um we had to work so quickly to you know I, re- I still remember that i was probably one of the first senior living communities to like lock it down like it was like march 13th and i was like that's it one weekend we built like a guard shack outside our drive so you couldn't even pull up the drive without wow. you know someone Whoa. kind of and and closed off visitors and all that and at the time there was a lot of resistance to the decision um soon there was a lot of affirmation to the decision we ended up not really having any like spread in our community or anything like that but um yeah just over over one weekend like how do we staff this 24-hour thing how do we track this Mm -hmm. how you know how do we turn people away and a million things how do packages get delivered how do residents that are in the duplexes get groceries so it just um the decision for the i mean i i think um, when I stepped back a little bit in January as I was building this new community and didn't have active residents it just like I hit a real crash of just like, wow, like just kind of processing. Like it was like Mm -hmm. an adrenaline rush that lasted 15 months and then just kind of processing like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I kind of like lived through that. Yeah. Your whole job is to like humanize and dignify those at the end of their life. I'm wondering how you humanize yourself as (laughs) orchestrating all these details. Like how do you detach if you can? (laughs) (laughs) right yeah um well that's one of the things that was so interesting is i've been listening to this work series this podcast series and even going to the discussion the uh, like Mm -hmm. um kind of backyard discussion and reading the why work i I think so fascinating because so much of the conversation is like about work being good and the dignity of work and 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 i'm like oh my gosh my pendulum is so far to the other direction of not like punching the paycheck like i'm obsessed with what i do and if mm-hmm. i am not careful it can be mm-hmm. completely all consuming you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah. um because the work i'm doing is good i'm very yes. connected to and you feel passionate about its goodness and right, its right right yeah. yeah so it in a season like that where there's so much important and high stakes work to be done it, it mm-hmm. is I can't say that I found that perfect balance that mm-hmm. I have like yeah. an amazingly supportive husband who <laughs> took on so much during the year I mean at one point I had an apartment on campus and just oh. um you know, I think he had a visceral reaction to the sound of my like cell phone tone for my work phone then because it would be calls all you know I kept it right by my ear and you know just a million tiny decisions to be made but Mm -hmm. um huge you know growing strengthening experience and just a lot for someone who does want to have control and achievement Mm -hmm. so much it was just a whole new um a whole new way to look at, at results and processes and things like that because there is no 
perfect answer in a pandemic. Mm. There is no. That's what you crave. There isn't. Like, how do I get this right? What is right? What is right and what is wrong? And there isn't. There is just a million variations on decisions. And, you know, I don't know. But it's, I think, most of what I do day to day um, in small situations and large is try and balance safety with quality of life. Mm. And that is a tightrope, right? You know, we used to like, I feel like everyone should be nodding along in their own little microcosm world. Sure, sure. We all all do that, right? I think I do that with my kids too, right? Like my husband let my daughter climb this pine tree and he sent me a picture of her atop of this pine tree the other day and I lost my mind. (laughs) Like no six-year-old should have been climbing this pine tree, right? But, right, so quality of life and growth and development. The memory at the top of the pine tree. I'm sure. She didn't die, so I'm going to look back and like really treasure this memory, right? It's all, we all walk that tightrope, but Mm -hmm. we even, like I, in my training, I talk about what do you do about the little old lady with a walker and a set of high high heels, right? Because my risk mindset says like, oh my gosh, she's going to fall and break a hip. But to a resident where that gives her that sense of Mm. self-esteem, she's Mm. always worn high heels that, you know what I mean? That is what it's like to be put together and have dignity. How do we balance those two things? So I resonate deeply with my, (laughs) with my son, Ruben. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. He, he has special needs and he loves what Mm -hmm. makes him come alive is swimming and climbing and then like a whole slew of other dangerous things which are also fun and I like want him so badly to feel free range in that and like to be as free range as possible and I don't want my only communication that he understands to be no but also there's like to some degree it has to be right? right right but oh man I resonate in my own little world about with that no it's so true there's that constant risk assessment that goes on I mean totally Way more in the pandemic, but I mean, yes. it, at all times. Yes, and yes. And you're nodding through a lot of that. Where, <laughs> where are you at? Um, I was, I don't know about that last specific thing. I would definitely let my kids do the pine tree. <laughs> <laughs> like, get out, like, if you only, like, get on the pine tree. Like, <laughs> get on the pine tree. Like, what are you doing here? Like, this, this is no fun. Get on the pine tree. I'm like the failed free range <laughs> parent. Like, I really want to be a, but like. In theory. Yeah. Right. Ideology and personality. Yeah, that, right. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, though, more like to your question, Caroline, of like, how do you, how do you navigate health in the midst of crisis and all that? Yeah. Um, I think so much of it, it's not to the right and wrong. Yeah. It's not about like finding this perfect continuum mm. of like interpeace and <laughs> nothing distracts. Cause I remember right. we, we have been through, like Christina had been through some hard things and, you know, hard relationships. And it was like, I felt sometimes if, if we were negatively affected by other people's negative mm. impact on us it, and we weren't okay, it wasn't okay, then we yeah. should. We like we should if we move them out of our life, then we can have more health. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I'm not saying that there's not healthy boundaries to have at the moment, yeah. but that didn't feel like the right answer. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and sometimes we do have to absorb. I think things just not being on this perfect continuum of right. mental health because we're absorbing just the broken and fallen world that we live in. And I think, right. I think we strive toward it like i think mm-hmm. be holding out in front of us like uh this sense of love your neighbor how yeah as yourself right so right. there you like if you don't have 
you can't love other people well if you have zero sense of self-protection. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Or even any sense of like your own self-health. Um, so that's I, like something I'm wrestling with a ton. So like how do you, because you're in very similar worlds of like your work is, is good, meaningful, eternally impactful yeah. work. And there are people who need the minister you, per, like how do you guys, what are your guardrails of knowing where like mm. uh, this is, you know, I'm going too far into, I don't know if it's a workaholism because it's not your typical workaholism where it's like I'm trying to get ahead or achieve no. or you're not get trying to climb any ladder. You're not in it for the, like the big bucks or anything <laughs> like that. But like how, what are your guardrails to say? So I'm not going to get there? Is <laughs> is, do I need to like have like a come to Jesus moment? Like I'm not going to get rich being a pastor. He's realizing this right if now. If you can do anything <laughs> else, Johnny, <laughs> I think we've discovered already you tried everything else. <laughs> Pastor it yeah, is, man. <laughs> no, I don't, I just, I hate the limitations of the, like, hard lines of if something is negatively affecting you, it's got to cut out. Mm -hmm. I think there's more mm. nuance there. Right. I think there's, like, I think there are seasons of life where it's, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I play soccer on Saturday morning with some guys, and all the guys that were in leadership roles mm -hmm or just coming on Saturday mornings exhausted yeah. during COVID. Uh -huh. Because it was, what they were sensing is the people they were leading were tired and mm -hmm. unsettled because they didn't know what their role would be. Mm -hmm. And the people in the leadership positions were tired because they're constantly trying to figure out from week to week what the new decision, right. like, company-wide has to be. Right. And right. so we had a lot of great conversations about it. But I, in certain situations like that, to, to ask you to, like, make sure you stay healthy right. in that scenario, I don't know is the right thing to ask of you. I think it's important to have people around you that you're willing to listen to to say, like, say maybe this thing isn't healthy or this decision, right. or maybe you can say no to this thing. But just to say no to that one thing doesn't now all of a sudden I'm just on this perfect continuum right. of, like, keeping... And that's just not... I don't know. There's this perception of like work-life balance too that I kind of hate where every week has its perfect balance and I, mm. I kind of think there's these different seasons, yes, right? Think, and you have yeah. to be okay with like, yeah. this is a season where I'm really all in, you know, yeah. on my work because people's lives depend on it yeah. um, and other areas are going to fall apart. You know yeah. what I mean? And I remember talking to like, kind of a, a wellness coach as I was starting to kind of fall apart like towards yeah. the end because just the... the cumulative fatigue and and i was even talking about oh i was in this like really great spiritual rhythm of my my quiet times and now i've fallen apart and i'm feeling so bad about it she's like, i she said like i don't think that's what god would want of you right now is these like intense 45 minute like biblical study like maybe is there like a five minute podcast mm. you can listen to on your way in? like yeah. and it was really freeing for me to see like oh these like micro moments of like kind yeah. of filling my cup i don't need this huge like retreat because i can't right now like you know what i mean and just kind of saying like okay maybe it is like a two minute meditation or like you know a walk around the building that's that's what balance or like self-care looks like it can't it can't look like a 40-hour work week right now and being kind of okay with those different like seasons you know i'm thinking about how johnny you talk about coming out of a year like last year mm -hmm. like a coming out of collective trauma yes. and that it takes a long time to come down from survival mm. mode. You have better wording than this. I don't know what you said. Yeah. I, 
have recollection of saying that. <laughs> but better. Not saying it well. <laughs> no, better than what I, I you said something I'm trying no, to remember I exactly. Th- so it was the like a phrase. conversation was around getting people to come back in the building to church mm-hmm. and not rely on the live stream because right. it's just there and easy. Right. And so I said we can't guilt people in our encouragement and mm-hmm. be like you shouldn't be doing live stream anymore. You need to come back to church now. If you think it's safe and you're like, that's, that's just not helpful because we were conditioned Mm -hmm. because of the trauma of a global pandemic Mm -hmm. that the safe option is live stream. So it's like a conditioned place of safety. Then you have to learn your way out of it too. Yeah. And everyone knows in trauma, you don't just say stop. Right, 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 right. It never works, right? (laughs) So, I mean, I guess I should say, I mean, there are moments you, yeah, there's different responses in different situations. But typically trauma is about rewiring Mm -hmm. the the brain to find safety in a new thing. Right, right. Um, And so I just feel like as a a church, we need to, like, be patient with people to come in the building, find safety. And for some people that sounds ridiculous, and some people it sounds really right where they're at. Right. You know, and, and so I would imagine maybe this is the kind of where you're going is that maybe the same thing in a leadership role mm-hmm. where like you've conditioned yourself to be so attuned and available mm-hmm. because of the like global pandemic right. and the right. trauma yeah. that it, you're like, you're just constantly like, right. I'm needed, I'm needed, I'm needed. Right. And so how do you rewire your brain to now post trauma of the pandemic to say, okay, I, I don't, maybe I'm not needing that situation. Right. right. You know, but that's going to take, yeah, that's going to take. Because the boundaries change too. Yes. I think like boundaries are so situational, right? 100%. And so those 100%. boundaries had to somewhat disappear. Yeah. And like, so you'll have to find. You have to rebuild them. Yes. And you'll yeah. have to rebuild that with like aim small, miss small. <laughs> right? right. Like, right. like in situations where there's predictable wins mm. to say, okay, this is a predictable win. I Pulled myself out of that. Someone else handled it. I went home a half hour early today. Small win, right? right? right. And then it rebuilds, okay, trust. And like, right. okay, I can hand this off. I don't have to, you know. And I think I would imagine that's probably, you know, what it will be like for people in a variety of different ways coming right. out of the pandemic to, right. that, are in, that are in roles in which people's lives are like immediately impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Is that... It is, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking about um, like as if if my relational ecosystem is shifting, then sometimes I can like accommodate the need immediately, but then like it takes me a while to kind of like untwist myself back, <laughs> which is exactly what you just said. I'm just I have a like mental picture of like in the same way. It's like you can't write down the date you're going to stop sleeping with your phone on next yes. to your ear, right? right? You right. have to like figure out a. I don't know. It's almost like a next right thing. Like what's right for today? What's right right for today? What's right for today? But that's not a big picture plan like our personalities like. I'm gesturing towards Amanda. It was so wild for me to, I never in a million years would have imagined making a job shift. Oh, Um, yes. We didn't even talk about that. I know we're like, (laughs) we've gone on a long journey here, so I won't get into too much. But like, so that was hard for me too in terms of like, feeling the need to so tightly control things. And so we were, what, nine months into the pandemic mm-hmm. when I 
um, announced that I'd be changing to this new position. And, so, and then you're starting from the ground up. Right. So, right. so it, was, it was a whole wild thing of... More decisions. Um, <laughs> right. But I think it was good. It was healthy because, I mean, the thing I love most about the leadership piece is really watching people grow um, in leadership. And so I had to trust that the team I had spent five years building and supporting and that they could carry on without mm-hmm. me and that but that was hard there was so much kind of guilt that came with it but also you know a lot of peace and affirmation that it was like the right decision mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um that was it was yeah just kind of how I got there was um my industry I always joke I'm always trying to draw people into my industry like it's just not the most like glamorous but it's so there's rewarding. that sales that you sales just, for right, you right I always like have like intern you know pe- like the Wheaton externship people like come uh-huh. through and I was like how about senior living <laughs> you know I really <laughs> want to um but because of that nature I do get a lot of like headhunter type calls like constantly you know and um you know I thought I would stay with my last community you know indefinitely forever and then I got a call and I was like no no I'm not interested and they're like it's in Oak Park and I was like like they're like hold the phone <laughs> and then to find out that it was a, a new construction was something I had always my whole that was like my career bucket list was the idea of starting something from the ground up mm-hmm. and building a culture from day one so, so cool. um and the process like it was the fastest hiring process I've ever gone through and just so I felt like green affirmed the whole way like it just I felt such an amazing sense of peace about it Mm -hmm. that was like very not typical of me um just an amazing kind of um clearness of direction that I don't usually have in my life about it so that yeah that was really helpful when it came to kind of letting go of something that had been yes my baby for so long and and just trusting them to continue making really good decisions without me so totally yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that is one of the like the worst places for a leader to get yeah. is the sense that you're not replaceable. Dan- it's a dangerous place <laughs> to be. Like it absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. So, um yeah, I think the like literally the number one most yeah. rewarding part of what I do is seeing yeah. like yeah. Uh, seeing potential in people they might not see in themselves and, you know, seeing their, like it's an impact multiplier. Right. And so if you put everything on yourself, you're just like clipping people's wings. Well, and I think even here at Calvary, I oftentimes try like take the like mental space to imagine people I work with doing what I'm doing because it's like, yeah, they would probably do it differently and better in some ways. And that's just a healthy exercise to not, then go back and assess I'm in this role because I'm the best person for the role. Right, right, right. It's not. It's in God's weird economy. Mm-hmm. Providence has brought me into this role and this is the role I'm supposed to fulfill. But it doesn't have to be out of this like hierarchy of best mm. or better or, you know, good. It's just I like to think I'm good at what I do and God has me doing it. But it doesn't even mean I have to be the best person to do this role in the organization. And there's so much value to stepping back and seeing, you know, who emerges out and who yes. steps. Like, I'm sure even, like, Gerald being on sabbatical, right? Yeah. Like, people have probably filled in the sure. gaps and the holes yeah. in ways that maybe you didn't anticipate yeah. and ways that the church will benefit from yeah, I think so. beyond his return, right? And sure. so um, I think there's a lot of, you know, you yeah. have to kind of trust that. So that's so. a cool process, though, for you to go through yeah. as a leader. And I think probably even healthy for your own self mm-hmm. to, one, feel like, I mean, because that is honestly 
to me, a better sign of success that you leave and it continues to thrive, then I'm not replaceable. Right. That, to me, that's the, like, the absolute ultimate. leadership failure, right, <laughs> yeah. would be to yeah. leave and something crashes and yeah. burns, right? Because then, you know, that's, you know, it's all based on you. That, yeah. that, you know, that's never hmm. sustainable, yeah. right? So. Yeah, and I, yeah, I've experienced both where I feel like something right. I started couldn't continue without me mm-hmm. and something I started got better after me. Right. And, yeah. It can be hard to watch either way, though, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's um, true. You know, because you want the success, but then you're like, yeah. the thriving, you have to, like, check your own ego a little bit. Is, like. Yeah, the thriving is easier for me because really? I, I feel, yeah. yeah, yeah, genuinely encouraged. by. I, I say that in relation to the missions role. Yeah. I feel like I started pressing into changes that Manfred, as a former missionary, was able to step in and better address and continue to make progress and yeah. feel honestly that the role is being better carried out with him than me. Um, but and I feel that comes I, back to you being a good leader because of your security too. Like you're not threatened by that sure. success. You feel, feel really good and about him. That. And I've had open conversations where I genuinely feel he would genuinely say you did, you did start changing things that set me up for success and so there is a lot of sense of like that's super cool to stay mm-hmm. and see all that and i feel yeah. and there's other situations you know that i i started it just it i it was very driven on my personality right and that stinks yeah that's and you that can't stinks. you can't always have that clarity yeah. until it's hindsight right <laughs> so and you just have to learn right you have to learn uh-huh. you have to learn and that's i'm very self-aware of that here now i know mm-hmm. my person that like christine will say to me all the time you don't unaffect people whether they like you or hate you. You just don't unaffect people. And so... Someone got me a card double once negative. that was like, yeah. you're like the coconut of people. Like, <laughs> people either love you. <laughs> like, I have a very polarizing personality. So, but it, you know, um, and so just being very self-aware of that yeah. um, is super important, you know, and... I, ha- I was talking to Craig Moore on the elder retreat mm-hmm. and he said this to me and he's like, and you didn't ask for that. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, Craig, I love you, man. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly it. And I, I didn't ask for the kind of influence I can often have. And yet I have to figure it steward out. Steward it. Yes. And steward it. And it's yeah. probably exhausting. Yeah. And so I imagine, you know, with you, it's very, I, I would just imagine very similar. I mean, you, we talk about at Calvary, our giving, right. like the giving curve when we were having a, like, do we continue doing these um, fundraiser things that we mm-hmm. used to do in the spring and fall? Mm-hmm. And we're like, no, we just need to really like, impo- like inspire people to be re- more regular givers. Mm-hmm. And so we got Amanda Gosnell up there and you guys gave <laughs> your story. David and I were the power of our closers. Yeah, like that's what I'm like, so you'd like, so that, but that's, it is the reality of you had an inspiring way of mm-hmm. talking about something mm-hmm. that was really crucial. And at one level, it's life-giving. At another level, it's, you can resent people mm. for always wanting that from you. Right, right. You can become, like, I never want it to be that cult of personality where yes. everyone is perpetually feeding off of me. Sometimes yes. my office can feel like Grand Central Station, and I yeah. think, you know, there's almost that visual of them siphoning gas out of my tank. Like, they, I just need, like, that little hit of, like, inspiration or whatever to go about my day. And yeah. so I have to be really cautious about that. But it is. I mean, 
Yeah, that's. I think in my my work so much. It's like I'm not the one tucking my residents in at night. I'm not the mm. one yes. that knows yes. how they like their coffee in the morning. You know, right. like those moments yeah. and the stakes feel so high to me because we. I had a CEO once that said we're the last window through which our residents see the world. You know what I mean? Mm. So we are. Wow. We are like, if we do our jobs right, we are like ushering our residents into eternity. I mean, Oof. it's it's just an amazing thing, and wow. so it's like. Yes, that ability to influence is so important to me because I want yeah. my team to buy into our mission. And, and that's a really healthy way of thinking about it is that like stewarding your personality because the stakes of the community you serve are so high. Mm-hmm. Not so that you, and you should, it's not bad for you to want to feel fulfillment in yeah. that, but it's not the like centralizing force that, runs everything that amanda like (laughs) feels fulfilled and everyone likes her around like you want that that's okay right but but they're the impact your leadership success has direct impact such a powerful moment in a ton of people's lives right and so keep that's just a healthy probably way then to to think about well and that's where i think helps keep me from that security and security thing of I think the most dangerous thing as a leader is to want to be liked, yeah. right? Because you're not always going to be, you know, popular. Like if we're striving for excellence, I'm going to have to have some tough conversations yeah. when I see things that are not excellent. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, yeah, I think the best thing is to get really good people around you hundred, because they will perpetually put you in your place mm-hmm. because they're good and they're capable workers. Mm-hmm. And and then you just have to find your way of keeping everything in bounds and the thing going forward. Yeah. But if you if you don't if you don't put yourself around people that are good quality people that hardworking, creatives, whatever it is, you know, you you only you only hire people you think you're a little bit better than, right? <laughs> right and that's a right. you like then it's gonna always be about you. Right. But I think one of the things I want to always do is hire people that I think maybe I do I may think oh I think I can do this a little better or whatever but they do something better than I do yes and so we need that at Calvary and I think flexibility of role you guys have flexed and morphed roles (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the 17 parts of Carolyn's title right now right (laughs) but like yeah (laughs) very random and I, I think that flexibility is really important too because when you see someone has a gift it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. if something falls within their job description you really sure. you mm-hmm. want to enlarge that aspect of yeah. what they do so that they can have a larger mm-hmm. impact so yeah i wasn't kind of necessarily going into this conversation thinking of it would be a master class on leadership for me um, thanks guys <laughs> focusing on leadership yeah, but i'm glad we yeah. did because it yeah. nece- isn't necessarily something Truly. We kind of have like honed in on. Well, and you hit it directly. Um, I think everybody is a leader in some aspect of their lives because it's, yeah, right. you distill it to, it's no more, no less than influence. It's yeah, influence, influence is influence. leadership, right? So we that's all right. have influence in different areas of our lives. And, yeah. and that's where I would go back to it. And I, I'm assuming this connects with you is just the moment. Right. I feel like at Calvary, my role is what God has asked of me in relationship to these other people for the moment. Mm-hmm. And we'll see where God navigates it. Not because I'm better ideas, smarter, more empathetic, more anything. Yeah. It's just for the moment, God has honed this thing. Yeah. And we're super thankful for it. And we'll see where he leads. Right. You know? and I, I emailed you and I think it's true. I think, you know, I, I see how God has put you guys 
in the positions you're in mm. for, for this particular season. Yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. there was like a the plum song I played on like repeat during my, I would like ugly cry on my commute during the pandemic. And it was that like, how many times have, I, have you heard me cry out like, God, please take this. And how yeah. many times have you given me strength to just keep moving? And that was, mm. um, you know, that was kind of like a little bit of my anthem through the pandemic of like, I wanted God to take that away from me, but I think I was placed where I was for that, that season for a particular reason and yeah. you know just had to rely on you know the strength and wisdom you know to get through each day and each decision and it's a, it's a good feeling when you work with someone and you can think i would put them in that spot 10 times over mm-hmm. i'd put them in their time you know as yep. opposed to like ah, we didn't quite you know they're not <laughs> thriving unfortunately for maybe your reason their reason but and i feel like that's where we're at staff is it's our staff is not right like right now where it's at um, I would hire them 10 times over and it's about mm-hmm. how to keep, you know, yeah. how to keep talent. Yes. You know? um, yeah. So yeah, less about seniors, more about leadership, Can, but. I, I have, <laughs> I, we're well over time. I, maybe what I want to just kind of, I guess in closing, Caroline, unless you have any kind of closing questions too. Um, I just wonder, you know, what are, you know, when you think of the, like, loneliness of leadership, mm. what are the highs and lows of that, you know, where you feel like I'm lonely in this, but that's okay. Like, I'm, I thrive in this opportunity. Um, and what are the, like, oh, man, can I do this tomorrow? Right. Yeah, that, that is, I experienced that in a really real way, I think, in the last year. Yeah. And I, I didn't share this, and I won't get into it, but leading up to the pandemic my community had actually been through a major season of crisis um mm. the the summer and fall before we actually had a legionnaires outbreak which is um you would have seen us on the evening news and everything wow. like that not anything that was the fault of the community but it was this major crisis and in retrospect i think it was god um kind of paving the way for us to have a really strong crisis response. Like, it was like a dress rehearsal. And people were like, how are you managing the pandemic so well? And it's like, well, because we've already we did this last like year. a massive oh. crisis. And it was really, um, I never thought I would be so grateful for that. But all that to say, in that crisis, I just remember one day thinking like, but it's my name in the newspaper, you know what I mean? And there was a, the whole team came together to respond to the situation, but at the end of the day, right, um, that is the, the position of leadership. And I often think of myself as like kind of the, the pinch point in the hourglass of, you know, you take in all these different pressures and whether it's, you know, sometimes it's like an investor pressure or sometimes it's, a, you know, the workforce or whatever it is, corporate pressures, you know, those kind of things. Um, and you decide kind of what makes it through to mm. your team um, yeah. because they can't feel all of the pressures you're feeling all the time and still perform well. Mm. Um, and so that part is like, I think it's a real, it's a, an honor to do that um, and see people thrive, you know, because they're, you take away some of the, the noise that might be paralyzing, but that is probably the most exhausting piece to me. And I think I really leaned into um, 
kind of networking with other executive directors in my company. Like last year, we came together. We started doing, I think, weekly kind of Zoom-type calls together. Just how are you handling this? What are you doing? How can I pray for sure, you? Sure. Um, <laughs> grateful to have been in a faith-based organization for the yeah. year of the pandemic. But I, I think you have to find, you can't be an island because mm. you will, mm. um, you have to know that someone else is going through the same thing. Mm. So yeah. um, that was a really rich sense of community to find yeah. um, peers. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Anything else, Caroline? I just, thank you. Yeah, I can see all of these threads of like thing, of giftings you have and personalities and ideologies and theology, you know, mm. like come and play out where you are and what you do, yeah. you know. And I want to just thank Monday you guys Friday. and Calvary for... I mean, the support you've given our community has been amazing. We had our very first mm. Calvary mini service this past Sunday, um, which was really exciting. Ryan just Castillo, just, right? Yes, Castillo thank you, over. Ryan. Big, big yes. shout out to you, Ryan. For awesome. And here's our, yeah, we should plug. If you oh. want to get involved in, in the Sheridan, there's many opportunities for sharing music or sharing stories or sharing your craft or there's so much joy in, in the residents in our community. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I've learned from working, especially with our residents that um, are struggling with Alzheimer's or dementia, is just how present they are in that moment, mm. right? Mm. It's because when those, like, memories fade, it's like those moments are what really matter. So there is a lot of joy in sharing whatever your passions are. If people, like, want to teach an art class or lead music or just read with someone, like, it's a really good way to escape fretting about the past or the future and just like being in the moment with someone who really is there with you, you'll never get it in the same way as when you spend time with residents mm. with um, Alzheimer's and dementia. And, and of course, our assisted living residents are amazing too. Yeah. So yeah, so if, if anyone's either wanting to uh, uh, learn more about that, I should, I'll use my power of influence now. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Wield that. Please do. Uh, we'd love to connect with the community. We, we don't want them to be in a, a bubble, a senior mm -hmm. living bubble. We want uh, our residents to be part of the broader Oak Park River Forest area. And that's yeah. been the most fun for me. Being local is just you can connect all your circles. Can, I, I'm employing like half of Calvary right now. I think we have like, <laughs> it's an amazing hiring source. So yeah, yeah no, it's been a, um, really great kind of threading those two things together. So thanks for having me, guys. Cool. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, again, thank you so much for you know sharing. And I really, I, I think I'll like go back and listen to <laughs> just some of the leadership stuff you shared. <laughs> I, I it's funny. I talked to David a number. I mean, maybe over a year ago. I don't know. I didn't really realize you were the executive director. Mm -hmm. And so I remember telling him, I need really, I would love you to sit and like pick her brain and learn. So I guess we got to do partly <laughs> just like uh, on, on the, the airways, podcast, right? <laughs> uh, I still have more questions. So we'll have to do a round two another time. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and Calvary family. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, goodbye.